Well, good morning, church. I hope that you'll join us in supporting the work of God in Ukraine. I'm wearing my Ukrainian billboard shirt this morning, just so you could know of my affection for the ministry. I'm not attempting to look like an angel today. That's just not true at many levels. But I do want us to be reminded that there is a global church. We're not the only gig in this city. We're not the only church preaching the gospel in this state or in the country. And there are people all over the world on this very day, proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ along with us. It's great to be part of that global church. Hopefully you've opened your Bible to Psalm 40. I was reading a book this week and I almost laughed out loud with the insightfulness of a statement that the author made. Here's what I read. You can't buy manna in bulk. <laughs> Say it again. You can't buy manna in bulk. So good. The short quotation is coming from an excellent little book by Betsy Howard entitled Seasons of Waiting, Walking by Faith When Dreams Are Delayed. Do you know what she means by the statement, you can't buy manna in bulk? It comes out of Exodus 16 and the account where the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness after their deliverance from Egypt. For 40 years, they were under the discipline of God and had to trust him every day for his provision. And one very signature aspect of that provision was manna. Every day, they were provided food. Every day, God provided just enough manna for them to survive. And if they attempted to store up manna, particularly on the six days, as opposed to the Sabbath, just before the Sabbath day, that food would spoil. So by my calculation, 40 years, 365 days, the Israelites went to bed 14,600 times waiting for God to provide the next day. That daily provision, that waiting for manna, became one of the signature lessons of the wilderness wanderings, and that concept even makes its way into the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. The idea is simple, but it's also profound. Namely, God provides what you need on his timeline. He gives you daily bread. He provides daily grace. You can't buy manna in bulk. To be a Christian means that you live on the daily promises of God. You receive the word and you live on it. The Bible tells us that God is good, that he knows what we need and that he will provide. And that's what manna represents. It's an example of God's daily provision for his people as they wait on him every day. Today we're in Advent, and Advent has a meaning. In the liturgical calendar, the weeks leading up to Christmas, the, the season is referred to as Advent, and the word Advent means coming or arrival. 
Historically, it's a, a time in the church calendar that both celebrates the birth of Christ, the first arrival, and then additionally anticipates the second coming of Christ. And so in many respects, Advent is celebrating both the first arrival and waiting for the second arrival. So we live right now between these two Advents, between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, and part of the significance of the season that we call Christmas or in the calendar year of the church called Advent is embracing the spiritual value of this waiting moment. And in particular, the second Sunday of Advent, which is this Sunday, is focused historically on the issue of preparation and waiting. So through the month of December, we're going to take a short break from the book of Isaiah. We'll be back into it in the first of the year. And I want to dig a little deeper on this theme that emerged in the book of Isaiah and a theme that has emerged in my own life in the last number of months, the subject of waiting. We're going to walk expositionally through a text. What that means is not by going through every particular chapter in a book. That's one way to do expositional study. But another way is to take a text like like, um, Psalm 40 and walk through it verse by verse, line by line, and we're gonna take a series of texts over the next couple weeks and explore what does it mean to wait and how do we wait? You see, waiting is all over the Bible, and it's something I'm sure that every single one of us knows something about. And quite frankly, there's many of us, myself included, who are not very good at waiting. Most of us want our waiting to be over, and we'd be pretty excited if we could never wait for anything ever again. Again, Betsy Howard says this, we should want to learn how to wait well so that we can go on waiting well because we will always be waiting for something in this life. In other words, listen to this, you never graduate from the school of waiting because you can never buy manna in bulk. Since Advent is a season of waiting, I thought it would be helpful to explore this a little bit further. And if you're a Christian, you'll know that embracing this spiritual practice of waiting is really, really essential. In fact, I want to help you understand why it's so essential and even to give you some tools to know how do I walk through a season where God has invited me or caused me to wait some of you are in a tense, in an intense season of waiting in this moment, and quite frankly, the holidays are only making it harder. For some of you, you listen to this message and you're not yet a Christian, and you're walking through a hard season of life and you're running into a wall of I don't know what's gonna happen, I don't know what to do, and it's confronting you with the reality of your lack of control, and as a result, you're going to go somewhere to try and resolve that, and I would suggest to you the answers to that resolution or the way that you deal with that issue is none other than the person and work of Jesus Christ, and I hope to be able to demonstrate that to you. Today we're in, in, I keep saying Isaiah, my my mouth is stuck on Isaiah, so forgive me for that. Today we're in Psalm 40, and we're going to see the connection between waiting and truth. Over the next weeks we'll look at trust, we'll look at time, we'll look at the word together, but today we're looking at the word truth, and from this text and others in the Bible, I want to suggest to you that in order to learn to wait, We have to live on what we know is true about God 
when we don't know what's true about our life. Let me say that again. We need to know what's true about God when we don't know what's true about our lives. Or simply stated, waiting is simply living on biblical truth. The first step, when you're in the middle of a season of waiting, there's a lot you don't know, that's true. I don't know this, I don't know that, I don't know this, I don't know that. But the Bible would say to you, yeah, but you do know something. The question is whether or not that thing is as helpful and meaningful to you as it would be to know the answer to the thing for which you're waiting. So, what do we know? Psalm 40 helps us by anchoring us in this concept of truth. The psalmist locates himself in the moment and he looks to past truth, he looks to present truth, and he looks to future truth. So those are the three points in my sermon today. Past truth, present truth, and future truth. So first, past truth. We find verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 40 is a pretty well-known psalm. Psalm 23 is probably more known, but Psalm 40 is pretty well-known. Some of you may have heard it in a funeral message. Maybe you grew up in the 80s and the first time you heard this psalm was sung by Bono and you too. I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry. The word wait in Psalm 40, interesting, is the same word that we saw in Isaiah 40, 31, when Isaiah said, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. It's the Hebrew word chava. And it means to look forward to something or to wait for the arrival of something. What's interesting is that the word in other places is translated as hope or as patience, or as trust. Like those words all sort of are connected in this idea. Waiting is essentially linked to a need. The reason that you and I wait is because something isn't right, something isn't complete, we don't have what we want. There's a gap. Waiting is the environment of what it means to be human. To be human is to wait. We don't like to wait, we'd like to have our wait times reduced, but the fact of the matter is, since we're not ultimate and can't control of everything, waiting is a part of our life. That's why waiting, though, is so uncomfortable, why it's hard and why it's frustrating, is it reminds us that what I want, I can't get, what I need, I can't secure, what I desire, I can't obtain, and what I want to control is out of my control. Waiting is a direct assault on our self-sufficiency, and that's why waiting is hard, why it makes us mad, why it makes us anxious, why it's humbling. And yet notice that David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. When I was studying this text, I was just blown away at what, what I'm gonna share with you next. Do you know, what the word for patient is in the text. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Do you know what the word for that is? It's the Hebrew word kava. Wait a minute. Doesn't that sound pretty similar to the Hebrew word I just told you about? Yes. It's the exact same word. There is no word for patient in the text. 
What the psalmist is saying is this, and you know this, I waited and waited for the Lord. This is why Eugene Peterson in his translation or paraphrase of this particular text renders it this way, I waited and waited and waited for God. So as we begin our deeper dive into the subject of waiting, it's important to see the connection between waiting and patience. You see, often biblical waiting simply means embracing the season that you're in. Instead of being frustrated, it's just to embrace it and say, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And yet in this text, David is actually looking backwards I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. What we find here is that David is in a hard place. And what he does is begin, he begins his treatment of the subject of waiting by looking back at the past activity of God. So let me just ask you to think for a moment of a situation in your life or a season where this text fits. I waited and waited and waited for the Lord. Now you're on the other side, but you can look back on your life and know that you were waiting and waiting and waiting. These are important moments to remember. In fact, it's one of the reasons that the book of Lamentations says that if you suffer when you are young, you are blessed by God. Some of you are young right now and you have hardship in your life and you think, what in the world? Already this is hard? Listen to Lamentations, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Why? Because young and early suffering means that you can apply Psalm 40 more quickly to your life, that knowing what it means to wait, you can pull upon the historical grace of God that you have seen. One of the important things to do when you're waiting is to remember that you've waited before. To remember, no, 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 no. No, We waited for the Lord and he proved himself to be faithful and trustworthy. We waited for the Lord and he was helpful. In fact, this is what David does. Look at verse two. He drew me up, or rather verse one, we'll start there. He inclined to me and heard my cry. It means that God listened to him and was concerned for him. Other translations render this as he bent down to me. It says he drew me from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. God helped him when he felt hopeless. He talks about a a, a pit of destruction. It's like David was in a ditch or a miry bog, something that it was just so hard to slug through. You know what I mean? Where it's a moment that feels like a crisis or something's like this nagging headache that just won't go away. And his point is that God helped him. God inclined him to him. It says that through his hardship, he set my feet on a rock and made my steps secure. In verse three, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So I want you to think for a moment with me. Go back to a time in your life where you waited and waited and waited on the Lord. Christian, hasn't God proven himself to be trustworthy to you? Can you think of a moment where You were sure that God abandoned you, only to see in time, no, God hadn't abandoned me. But in the moment, man, it felt true. 
Could I encourage you to think of those moments and to hold on to those moments and to be reminded, what did God teach you about himself? How did God help you? What did you learn? Because you see, there's not only a record in the Bible of God's past faithfulness, there's also a record of God's faithfulness in your life. Now let me be clear, this doesn't mean that every situation in your past makes sense. Some of you still have things that you're still waiting for, things that are not resolved, things that you don't even know how to make sense of. And I'm not saying that everything in your life always makes sense, but listen, you do have Ebenezer moments that you can look back to in your life. You may not have as many as you want, but you have some that you can say, I, I have seen and tasted of God's goodness. Eugene Peterson in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, says this, God sticks to his relationships. He establishes a personal relationship with us and he stays with it. And the central reality for Christians is the personable, unalterable, persevering commitment God makes to us. He writes, perseverance is not a result of our determination, it is a result of God's faithfulness. We survive in the way of faith, not because we have extraordinary stamina, but because God is righteous, because God sticks with us. Christian discipleship is a process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness and less attention to our own. Finding the meaning of our lives, not by probing our moods and motives and morals, but by believing in God's will and purposes. Listen carefully. He says, by making a map of God's faithfulness, not charting the rise and fall of our enthusiasms. It is out of such a reality that we acquire perseverance. So listen, when God asks you to wait, here's what you need to say to yourself. Here's, Christian, what you need to preach to yourself. You're waiting, you're frustrated. How come I don't know this? When am I gonna find out? All the things, I don't know this, I don't know this, I don't know this, I don't know this. That's true. There's a lot you don't know, but there are some things you do know about God. And the question that we wrestle with when we wait is this. Are we lamenting the truth we want or are we rejoicing in the truth we already possess? David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited and waited and waited and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. Here's the second thing, not only past truth but also present truth It not only means looking back but it also means locating where we are in the story in that, that very moment David affirms particular truths to his heart. Look at verse four. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. This sounds really, simil really similar or familiar to Psalm 1-1, Psalm that begins the entire Psalter. And this theme of waiting and blessing is not an isolated theme. Listen to Psalm 25, verse four and five. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Or Psalm 27 and verse 13 and 14. I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So what's David doing here in verse four 
Verses four through 10, he's pushing us towards staking our confidence in God and then not staking our confidence in the things that we would normally run to. So look what he says in verse four. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. So where we tend to go to when we panic are to people who are powerful and trust in them or things that we think are gonna give us relief. So the idea is putting our trust in the proud, the one who blusters and says, I can figure this out, and putting your hope in their ability to figure it out, or those who go after a lie, those who are worshiping a false god. And yet look at verse five, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. He's he's preaching to his soul. He's reminding his own heart about God's trustworthiness. Andrew Murray in his book, Waiting on God, says this, let us therefore cultivate the habit of waiting on God, not only for what we think we need, but for all his grace and power are ready to do for us. And the result here is that David can live on the truth of God's will. He's not trying to manipulate God. Rather, he's merely expressing the kind of obedience that fits with somebody who waits on the Lord. Verse six, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. We don't have time to fully explore this open ear, but if you want to write down a text, write Isaiah 50, verses five through nine. It's a similar text phrase that's used of the suffering servant. And essentially what Isaiah says is that by waiting on the Lord, the suffering servant was able to endure false accusation. He was able to endure persecution because his trust was on God, not how people treated him. For some of you, part of the reason you're bitter is because you're waiting on people, not on the Lord. The reason that you're angry It's because you want vengeance. And instead, you need to wait on the Lord. You'd rather take your pound of flesh than get on your face and say, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And just to remind you, when you take your pound of flesh, it'll never satisfy. You want five pounds, then 10 pounds, then 30 pounds. You want every pound because you'll never be satisfied. The psalmist continues, I said, Verse seven, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written on my heart. I have told the good news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. The idea is that the psalmist knew, and we'll explore this in the last few messages, the value of togetherness when it comes to waiting. When we gather on the Lord's Day and we regularly rehearse truths that we believe, it helps us to wait because we leave being reminded, that's how I live, that's why I live, and I live with all these people who believe the same thing as I do. Not perfectly. Again, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase is helpful. He writes, I didn't keep the news of your ways a secret, didn't keep it to myself, I told it to everyone how dependable you are, how thorough. I didn't hold back pieces of love and truth for myself alone. I told it all. I let the congregation know the whole story. 
You see, here's the thing. People who are waiting need the truth of God's word pressed upon their souls. Whether it's from reading the Bible, whether it's hearing a sermon, singing a song, a testimony from someone, the receiving of the Lord's Supper, or an encouragement from the friend, we need to be reminded about the truth of who God is because our hearts and our minds can overly focus on what we don't have when we need to be reminded of what we do have. Again, Andrew Murray, this is the blessedness of waiting upon God, that it takes our eyes and thoughts away from ourselves, even our needs and desires, and it occupies us with God. So past truth, present truth, finally future truth, we get a sense here that the psalmist is looking forward towards something else, and he's in a hard place. Verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Notice he's not requesting, he's making a statement. It's a statement of faith and trust that we'll explore next week. How do you trust, like practically in the Lord when you're waiting? He says, your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. He's telling himself things he knows are true, but my guess in the moment may not feel very true. You know that's okay to do that if you're a Christian, right? To sing. Great is your faithfulness. In the back of your mind go, I don't know. And you sing at that doubt. You don't freak out. Oh my word, I'm doubting. Yeah, welcome to the party. (laughs) Even the disciples, they see Jesus in the text says, and some doubted. They see him, like he's literally right there in front of them, and some of them are still doubting. You don't have to have no doubt to sing. You sing because you doubt. That's what it means to wait. Verse 12, we get a hint of what's going on. Evils have encompassed me beyond number. He's overwhelmed. You ever felt like that? Like just all over the place. God, I'm overwhelmed. And then notice this, my iniquities have overtaken me. Ooh. And I cannot see, they're distorting his vision. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. We don't know entirely what's going on here. It it may have been that the challenges of his life that he's facing, the things that he's waiting on the Lord are some of the negative effects of his own bad decisions. Ever been that? Been there? You you blew it? And you're like, "I'm, I'm waiting for reconciliation. I'm I'm waiting for the process of repentance to take place. I'm waiting to rebuild trust. Or it may have been that something was partially his fault. You ever had that where something happens and you're like, yeah, I could have done that differently. And the more you think about it, you kind of replay, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Or I mean, does anybody else, the older you get, feel a little regret? I was at a funeral yesterday, I was leading with, for Sharon Ware, and, and she gave some incredible wisdom to her children about how to handle certain things. And I, I left that funeral exhorted, convicted, and thinking, I wish I gave advice like that. I find I feel more regret at 50 than I did at 30, because I got more stuff to regret, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not rocket science. I've, I've, I've had more time, and I've made more mistakes. See, it's one thing when you're entirely innocent But more often than not, it's not that straight. Usually it's a little complicated. It's not that clear. We don't know exactly what it is, but what we do know here is that David feels the weight of, as I'm waiting, I see my own failures. So what does he do? 
He goes to what he knows. So if you've come to church today and you feel like an absolute failure and you're a Christian, can I remind you lovingly, brother, sister, you, you are a failure. <laughs> like, we, like we are. Like that's not news. Like that, that's not news to you. The point isn't whether or not you're a failure. The, what, the question is whether or not you know Jesus. Text goes on and it says, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Notice what's happening here. He's, he's, he's afraid. He's, he's potentially gonna be hurt by people. There are people who wanna shame him, people who wanna embarrass him, people who even wanna gloat over his failure. Verse eight, let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Got anybody like that in your life? You're waiting and it feels a little scary because those people are scary. Like, like straight up what they want is they want you to fail. They want me to fail. And you, you see that and you're like, God, I'm waiting, but this is really risky because if this goes a particular direction, they're gonna exalt themselves and it's only gonna make it worse and it's gonna be terribly outrageous. And yet notice what he does. Verse 16, really important word in the Bible. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Got somebody in your life, you're like, like they're gonna say, aha, aha. Here's what you do to that. You don't slay them like, they're so stupid, I don't care what they think. That You think about them because you're thinking about them right now. Your solution is not to undercut them or slander them or fight fire with fire or be as nasty and toxic as they are. The solution is to say over the situation, great is the Lord. I don't know how this is gonna work out, but here's what I know, great is the Lord. Verse 17, as for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. Wow. Can you just receive that today if you're feeling burdened or lonely or hurt or you're waiting and you wonder what in the world? Can you just, can you embrace two things at the same time? I'm poor and needy. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know how this is gonna work out. Can I just push this into your heart, Christian? The Lord takes thought for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Andrew Murray writes this, he brings down your confidence. He makes you fear and tremble as all your strength fails and you feel utterly weary and helpless. All the while, he is spreading his strong wings for you to rest your weakness on and offering his everlasting creator strength to work in you. And all he asks is that you should sink down in your weariness and wait on him and allow him to be his Jehovah strength to carry you as you ride on his wings of omnipotence. Listen to me, friend. If you're not a Christian yet, it may very well be that God is using the circumstances in your life to wake you up to the reality that you can't do your life well. 
And everyone who becomes a Christian comes face to face with this reality that I have royally messed up and the problem is not outside of myself, the problem is inside of me. And who will rescue me from me? And the Bible says, Jesus will. So the way you come to faith in Christ is resting on the atonement of Jesus, being done with you, putting your trust in Christ. And why not make today that day when you cross that line and say, today, I'm done with me. I want to make Christ my King and Lord and Savior by looking to what he did for you 2,000 years ago. And to those of you who are already Christians, I trust that you know that waiting and resting in the kindness of Jesus doesn't terminate the moment that you receive Christ as Savior. It's the beginning of a lifelong journey to keep trusting and trusting and trusting as you keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and notice here how the text ends. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. I love that the Bible ends it this way. It doesn't end with some nice little bow. It ends with tension, like your life and mine, every single day, every single Sunday. You sing great songs, you go out, back to the real world. God, you're my help, you're my deliverer. I'm waiting on you, but please hurry, Lord. Don't delay. To say that doesn't mean you're not waiting. It just means you're human. This is an expression of waiting, that you are my help, you are my deliverer. God, please help me, and please do it quickly. But I'm gonna keep waiting and waiting and waiting because I know that God's gonna provide what I need and I can't buy manna in bulk. I gotta go to bed and get up the next day and wait upon you and wait upon you and wait upon you. You know you're not the only one in the world waiting. You know we're not the only church waiting. There are believers all around the world who are waiting. As I close the sermon, I want you to hear a song written by a Ukrainian student that just is designed to push the truth of God's word into your soul. Be reminded, this is who your God is. This is what you know while you wait. Святий 